So Colossians chapter 2, if you're there, if you would stand as we pay honor to the reading of God's word. Three verses tonight, Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 8. This is the word of the Lord. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. This is the word of the Lord. We should be thankful that we get to read it together. We should study it together and understand that the message tonight comes from this particular text. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to gather, to read your word together, to sing songs to you, about you together. And Father, we don't want to take this time for granted. We know that there are believers all over the world who have to meet in secret or in hiding at odd times under fear of persecution and threat. And so the fact that we can do this openly, we can joke together, we can sing and worship you together, and we can ultimately praise you publicly. We don't want to run too quickly past that in our praise for allowing us and giving us the freedom and the ability to do that. Father, tonight we also know that we're not the only people in this city that have uh, the gospel. We know that there are gospel-preaching churches in our city, and we want to pray for them. We want to ask that you would pour out your richest blessings on their ministry. Think of Graceway Baptist Church and, and Bob Stevenson, their pastor, Zach Peel, their college minister, that you would watch over them, that you would bless that congregation, that you would see them grow, that they would proclaim the gospel faithfully that also also think of sunshine baptist church and their pastor patrick morrow that you would watch over that flock that you would bless them that they would be faithful to proclaim the true message of the gospel father we think of other churches in the city uh, that think they know the way to heaven but are pointing people in the opposite direction we pray that even tonight as they might read your word that that word would come alive in them and they would recognize the error of their ways turn from them repent, place their faith and trust in you alone, and we might see revival come to Springfield. Father, we ask that you would send revival to our city, and we're okay if that means that it's the church down the road, because we know we don't hold the corner on the gospel. So we just pray that you would do that. We also know that tonight there are people who have never heard the name of Jesus, and we ask for the Fulani people in the country of Chad and the Uzbekistans in northern Uzbekistan, that you would reach them with the gospel, that you would raise up missionaries from our churches, from this church even specifically, that they might be reached. And now, Father, we ask that you would help us as we seek to understand your word, that we might be transformed as a result of it. For, Father, the only thing that will change anyone in this room tonight is your word. Not the words that I say, not my opinions, not my thoughts, but your word, your thoughts, what your Bible has to say. We'll be careful to praise you and thank you for everything that happens tonight. It's in your son's name that we ask all of these things. Amen. You can be seated. You know, it's very easy in our world today to be uh, passionate to the extent that you are comfortable. Um, social media and the internet 
are two avenues by which people can proclaim to be passionate about things when they really aren't that personally invested. Yelling on the internet, but in real life whispering about them. One only need to think of different causes and different groups and different people that will loudly shout down different groups. But if you were to meet them, you would not know that there was anything distinctively changed as a result of their lives. You can fill in the blanks here and it would be really pointless at this level and maybe incite some of you to riot to list off different ways that people are guilty of doing this for it might touch a nerve that perhaps we are those people who might be passionate about things externally but internally and on a day-to-day basis they don't really seem to intersect. Unfortunately, this is an all too common practice when it comes to Christians. It's very popular in the world of politics to refer to different political parties with different acronyms. And it's not uncommon to hear the term rhino tossed around, especially during this uh, hotbed of a political season. And if you're quick to think that a rhino is the animal and you're wondering how does that intersect With politics, praise God, you don't waste your days reading Fox News, CNN, or whatever blog that some mom is writing about, about the destruction of the American way by some political party. Rhino is just a term for Republican in name only. Friends, I'm concerned that we could easily change the first letter of that acronym from R to C. There might be Christians in name only. They talk a lot about Christ. They talk a lot about the books that they like to read. They talk a lot about the pastors that they listen to and the podcasts. They even, God help them, get involved in debates over minute theological matters online. But when it comes to their character how they live their lives, their desire to see people who don't know Christ come to know him is non-existent in their day-to-day life. It's not enough to merely claim that you're a Christ follower. You actually have to live it out. That's why the title for tonight's sermon is Faithful Living. Because it's not enough for Christians to hear the call to live faithfully They actually have to live out their faithfulness to Christ. And so tonight, from these particular verses, is the Apostle Paul turns the intensity up on the Colossian heretics. And yes, they're heretics. We live in a culture and society that downplays false theology. It's all okay if as long as you believe in a God. Friends, let me tell you, there is no greater lie being told in a public square that as long as you believe in a God, you are okay. The Bible clearly contradicts that. So as we turn our attention to these three verses, we see two things that if we're going to be faithful Christians, 
We must live this out faithfully. We'll start in verse number eight with this idea. If we're going to faithfully live out what it means to be a Christian, we must first oppose forgeries. Look at verse number eight. Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Here, as the Apostle Paul prepares to turn the intensity, the heat up, uh, go to the next level, opposing those false teachers who've infiltrated the Colossian church, he uses a key word, beware, to set the mind and attention of those Colossian believers on guard. Friends, I'm concerned tonight that we, even the most robust and orthodox Christian, if you think you're that person, I do not. If you think you're Johnny Super Christian, I'm fearful that our guards are down to the different ways that culture, society, the world at large lulls us into sleep regarding what it means to be a Christ follower. And too often we take our marching orders from the world and people who don't even really know Christ instead of looking to his word and who Christ is as we seek to live out the faithful Christian life. Paul wants these Colossian believers to be careful, to be aware. Why? Because there are people who are trying to cheat them. And how are they trying to cheat them? Through philosophy and empty deceit or empty tradition, we might think. Now, some of you might say, David, is Paul talking about philosophy as we know it? Freud and others? Specifically critiquing our modern, current understanding of philosophy? Well, no, of course he's not. He can't be because those writers are not in his mind's eye because they don't exist. So be careful anytime you're reading the Bible to automatically assume that Paul's talking about something in our modern day. But make no mistake, I think Paul would critique our modern understanding of philosophy. You say, why would he critique it? Because of the same false teaching that was infiltrating this Colossian church. Now, philosophy in this particular context... This word is referring to a general love of knowledge. You have those weird friends. I would be one of them if you would be so kind to call me your friend. That have a general love of knowledge. The person who sits and manages to get three out of five right on the Shakespeare category while watching Jeopardy in the afternoon. If you mock that person, I can just tell you that's unkind. Jeopardy is a great show. A general love of knowledge without actually putting it into practice is what's coming under the attack of the Apostle Paul here. Make no mistake here. Paul is pinpointing the Colossian heretics. And and like a wise rebuttal, he alludes to the content of the false teaching without naming names. Friends, I think a lot of times we're too quick to point out someone's name as being a figurehead for a group or movement that is responsible for false teaching. 
And as a result of that, people are far more aware of this one individual being wrong than they are of the actual teaching and why it's bad. I'll give you a perfect illustration of this. Most people in this room probably don't have to be told if they've listened to sermons for any length of time in the last 10 to 15 years that Joel Osteen is not someone that needs to be disregarded and avoided. The problem is that much of the teaching that Joel Osteen promotes actually has infiltrated a lot of American churches. This kind of, if I follow God, he is entitled to bless me. Some of you, even right now, in your, you know now that you shouldn't be nodding, but in your mind, you're nodding. Yes, if I'm faithful to God, he's entitled to bless me. Friends, that's a false theology. And just knowing the name of one false teacher doesn't necessarily correct all of the error that comes with him. So we need to be careful. And just like the Apostle Paul, who exercised wisdom here by pointing to the content and what is wrong rather than the people who were promoting it. Probably for two reasons. One, you don't want to give public airtime to your to the people who are teaching things contrary to what is orthodox. And two, because even the Apostle Paul is hoping that by critiquing this type of false theology and false teaching, that those brothers and sisters potentially would come to saving faith in Christ. I wanna, I'm going to say this multiple times tonight, because I think this passage sets up well to remind us of this. Correction of false theology is only as helpful in as much as that person comes to saving faith in Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sins. We're not looking to win debate. We're not looking to come ahead on some sort of religious scorecard before the Lord returns. Friends, our greatest desire for you tonight, if you would find yourself not knowing Christ, is not for everything about you to suddenly change and to clean up your life and then come to Christ, but that you would come to Christ first because he ultimately will clean up the rest of it. The reason why Paul is critiquing these heretics and calling them forgeries is because of three specific reasons that we see in verse 8. First of all, it's according to the tradition of men. I don't know how many times we're going to have to learn this as a society and a culture at large, but normally the tradition of men fails in several key areas. One of particularly controversial one that probably will not gain me points with my conservative brothers theologically, Americanism. This idea that somehow, someway in the founding fathers, we find our salvation. Beloved, remember that the same group of men who wrote the Declaration of Independence in that same document, documents as the country is formed, took away the rights of other people. In one breath said that men are created with certain inalienable rights. And among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unless you're a person of minority, not a landholder, not a person who's going to our state church, or a woman. 
Friends, even the best traditions of men fall short in their ultimate salvation. And you might say, David, that's a very heavy-handed critique. Well, you talk about a country that has given probably the most in the area of personal and individual freedom. Compared to most countries, we pretty much have let everyone run around without their clothes on. Other countries have been far more restrictive. Another example that left in the hands of the traditions of men, not governed completely under the hand of God, ultimately they failed. And that's not to say that there aren't redeemable things inside of our culture and that we shouldn't support freedom and the free exercise of religion. But friends, don't buy too much into a tradition of man above the word of God. secretly glad that I beat up on whoever the ruling party is friends remember that the state can't save you and it doesn't matter how many government handout you think will fix this country it doesn't matter how many free college tuitions you give away that is also a tradition of man and it is cannot be respected above the, the word of God you can be it, 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 it's what I love about God's word it's that equal opportunity shot taker it critiques the left and the right because ultimately the life centered on Christ is what is most important it's also worthy of being critiqued because it's according to the basic principles of the world friends I don't know how else to say this lovingly to you tonight but you're far more influenced by the world than you probably even realize, and you need to be aware of this, and you need to put it to death. You're buying into systems of thought that are promoted by the world, for the world, and stand opposed to Christ. If you're a Christian, and you're called to faithfully follow Christ, and you're buying into something that makes the world more attractive and more beautiful than Christ, friend, that too needs to be put to death. So easy to do. To find yourself as one person who happens to be on this stage this week laughing at what the Bible strictly condemns and confessing to his wife, I didn't watch the show. We weren't even watching it together. It was a show that I had enjoyed because some of the humor, sadly, reflects a lot of my own humor found myself watching a show that I had to stop. And it wasn't season one, episode two. For those of you who like to think that I'm more holy than I really am, friends, it was been six seasons. It had been going on for days. And we're condemning it. Here's something that stands completely opposed to God's word, and yet you find yourself laughing at it, enjoying it, and delighting in it. Beloved, we have to be careful that our lives are not shaped by the world, but by Christ. It's according to the tradition of men. 
this philosophy and empty deceit is according to the tradition of men. It's according to the basic principles of the world. And number three, and most importantly, out of this verse, it's not according to Christ. It's not according to Christ. It stands opposed directly to Christ. It's a direct contradiction of men. It's probably the most striking rebuke from Paul because these philosophies are taking the Colossian believers hostage from the truth that Paul and Epaphras had brought to the church in Colossae. It, it wasn't, and this is what I think is so dangerous, because what normally happens when one turns to this particular text is to say, here are eight things that you are being trapped by the world from understanding Christ. And they'll go through them. But here's the danger for you. That at the end of the eight, I haven't named what's holding you hostage. And you walk with a clean conscience through those doors, sit and eat tacos with friends, and go home only to continue in something that's holding you hostage directly up opposite from Christ. That's dangerous. Abraham Kuyper, a famous Dutch theologian, said, there is not one square inch that Christ does not proclaim mine. And I'm fearful tonight that there are inches, maybe feet, maybe a yard, maybe even a mile that is possessed by someone other than Christ. So tonight, are you constantly in the business of opposing forgeries? What has captured your heart? Is your life even centered on Christ? This, this series is called Steady because it's steady on Christ, meaning, much like the hymn writer, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. I think far too often we're sinking with our Christian friends in quicksand. And the sad part is we're delighting as we go farther and farther and farther from Christ. But there is hope. And that hope is, second of all, to stand in Christ. Look at verse number 9. For in Him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Paul is clear to remind the Colossians that Christ is worthy to be followed because He is the full representation of is in the flesh God. Remember, God is one in essence, exercised in three persons. And here, Paul reminds us that in Christ dwells all the fullness of God. It would be easy to say, maybe a clearer way, that the entire fullness of the deity of God dwells in the body of Jesus Christ. And it exists there permanently. It's a very popular and kind of in, in some theological circles, to talk of this emptying that Christ goes through, where somehow he loses his deity only to gain it back. Friend, let me tell you, 
If Christ loses his deity at any point, he is not the worthy sacrifice that can stand in our place. If Christ is not fully God, I, I, I mean this with, with complete and utter seriousness. Turn off the lights. Let's go home. Maybe we'll eat the tacos first and then go home. But if Christ is not God, there's no reason to worship him. And think about this. You're critiqued, I'm critiqued often for not having a robust understanding of history. Which I commonly remind people that this is just untrue. Millennials, Generation X, whatever group you want to put us in, we know history. That's how I know that over 2,000 years ago, something so radical transformed the culture of the then day, where God went from being worshipped on a Saturday to being worshipped on a Sunday. People groups don't just change what day they worship on, on a whim. Something drastic, or dramatically, or if you're a person who likes to come up with new words, dramatically, changed how we understood God to be. He is the fullness of God. But here is why it is essential for you and I to stand in Christ. Verse 10, and you are complete in him. Friend, there is no bigger lie that you are being told than to find your identity in something other than Christ. Find your identity in your schoolwork. Get into this school, get this degree, get this job. Identity, identity, identity. Find your identity in your popularity. I have this many friends on Facebook, this many Instagram likes, this many retweets. Identity, identity, identity. Finding your identity in your relationships. I'm dating. I'm engaged. I'm married. I'm having a kid. My kid's going to school. My kid just graduated from school. My kid got married. My kid now has produced me a grandbaby, which is reward for not killing that said kid. I'm retiring. I'm dying. Identity all the way through. Even more of the subtle ones, you find your identity in your sexuality. I'm attracted to this person, or I'm transitioning this way. Christians are really good. I just want to be clear on this tonight. The reason tonight is just... I don't know why this isn't in the notes. I just feel prompted to say this. I think it's far easier for Christians to be so critical of those we don't understand. People who are transitioning. People who struggle with same-sex attraction. Because it's far easier to call them out than to say, I have an identity problem in the fact that I can't stop cussing at the referees at, the fi at my five-year-old's soccer game because he is the next Pele. find their identity rooted in their children. Or the Christian who it helps them to put down others because it's easier to put down others than wrestle with the pain and the anger of still being single and being angry at God. 
person because of what you struggle with. And you're not less of a person because you don't fit into any one of those categories. Let me just tell you tonight, if you came in here depressed because school's just not living up to what it should be, your job isn't, your relationships aren't, your sexuality or your your uh, boyfriend or girlfriend isn't providing you the success or the feeling that you want it to. I, I'm just going to tell you that tonight, the reason why you're struggling with any of those things is because ultimately your identity can only be found in Christ to be satisfied in that area and way of your life. So to the person out there who's struggling today with same-sex attraction or who might be struggling with, did God mess up when he created me? Friend, I just want to tell you, despite what you may have heard from Christians before, I want to tell you tonight, your greatest problem is not your need to fix those things about yourself. Your greatest need is to place your faith and trust in Christ, repent of your sin, and be saved. Then God will sanctify you and change you into his image. Friend, tonight, if you came in and you're struggling because Mr. or Mrs. Wright still hasn't come along, despite what maybe the Christian church has told you, you're not a half-breed or a muggle because you don't have a significant other. It makes me almost want to throw up to say the word significant other. I don't know what that word means. I'm confused by it. And just as we're on this page, the idea of talking as some way to start a relationship. Friends, you talk every day. There's nothing more confusing than to talk to a student and say, I'm talking to so-and-so. Wonderful. I, I had four conversations myself today. I managed to get out of my office and talk to Paul. Oh, you mean in a relationship. Paul and I are happily married to women. Um, and just like each other's conversation. Okay, I'm leaving. Friend, I just want to tell you tonight. If you came in here or you've been struggling because you think somehow, some way you're less of a person unless you're married. I can tell you this right now. Getting married is not going to fix those problems. It's just not. There's a lot of work left to be done that only the Holy Spirit and God can do. And Jessica's finally coming around to that idea. <laughs> Friend, tonight you may have come in and you're struggling because the job or the career that you thought was going to be so fulfilling or the school or the program, the degree and all the accolades that came with it was going to be so worthwhile. I'll tell you why you feel empty inside it's not because of those degrees or those programs the reason why you feel empty inside is because you haven't met the one who satisfied all my needs the most vociferous lie on the face of the planet the lie from the great movie is the boy meets the girl and they come together Some of you are trying to do that in 
in different stages of your life. And so tonight, we just need to be reminded, hopefully from a caring and loving pastor, that if you've repented and trusted of Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you have everything you stand in need of. You have everything you stand in need of in the person and the work of Christ. That's why verse 10 ends by reminding us who is the head of all principality and power. Christ is supreme over all things. In him, all things exist. There's nothing outside of him that he does not reign supremely over. And tonight, I want to encourage you. One, if you're the person sitting in here who's never repented and trusted in Christ, that is your greatest need tonight. Not anything that the world might want to tell you. That is your greatest need. But if you have repented and trusted in Christ, and you have been born again, can I just tell you, you need to turn to Christ as the center of who you are and stop looking to other things. Your relationships, your relational status, your job, your income, your wealth, your popularity, whatever it is. I've only hit some of the markers. For some of you sitting out there who feel like you've escaped because I haven't mentioned it. I just want to tell you, you haven't. Because the fact that you even know that there's something that you're seeking to find your identity in that isn't one of the things that I mentioned is in fact the Holy Spirit telling you that you have something that you look to other than Christ. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite our band to come and lead us in a time of response. And I would just encourage you in two ways. One, for the person who's not a Christian, put your faith and trust in Christ. I have people in the back who would love to explain to you how you can do that. Tonight, Christian, maybe you need to mark out February 6, 2019 as a day on my personal mental calendar where I'm rooting my life and I'm going and I'm cutting all the things out or redirecting the things that are pulling me away from following Christ. Let's pray together.